This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. That's like Can Bear Podcast. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Candare, a tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jake Runyon. And joining us today to talk about his book that's available online right now, Pocketful of Dennis the Menace, comic book and animation historian Mark Arnold. Thanks so much for being with us, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of fun today. A uh, very comic strip-themed episode, which yeah. excites me. Uh, it's going to be really cool. On our retro roundtable, we're going to be talking about uh, just some of our favorite comic strips from the past. And uh, then we're just going to skip the comic vault altogether and just cut, uh, turn our attention over to Mark and just talk about, one, Dennis the Menace, and then, two, his book, Pocket Full of Dennis the Menace. I'm really excited. I've been a big yeah. Dennis fan for years. So I uh, think we're going to get a pretty satisfactory comic fill this episode, even without the vault. So. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess that's it. Let's just kick it off with All this right. week's Retro Roundtable. Do it. Do it. Come on. I'm here. Come on. Do it now. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, comic strips, I guess our favorite comic strips. Um, comic strips are really responsible for me being into comics, period. My, uh, when I was really young, my great-grandmother used to watch my sister and I, and she used to have, uh, you know how comic strips, when they're published, they come in those like, real long, kind of like flip book things? Yeah, yeah. She had some Garfield and Peanuts books that I just huh. was uh, fixated on. But anyway, uh, we'll start with uh, our guest. Mark, what would be your favorite comic strip? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> probably hard to narrow it down, huh? <laughs> yes. um, no, actually, uh, probably the first love was Peanuts, I think, for a lot of people, maybe. Um, Absolutely. I also loved uh, Beetle Bailey, BC, Wizard of Vid, uh, and Dennis, Dennis the Menace. Uh, I actually like Family Circus. <laughs> <laughs> One of the few. <laughs> When I started working, I, I really got into um, uh, Dilbert because it really oh, yeah. felt like that was my life. It's like the guy worked there. <laughs> so, like, um, when they're being published, I like Calvin and Hobbes and Farside and things like that. So um, it, always have active interest in comic strips. Yeah. I remember when Dilbert was, uh, was it like the late 90s that he like really hit big and was kind of becoming like really mainstream? Yeah. And I think it was around the same time that Drew Carey was big and in, they just looked so much like each right, other. Right. I think it's, he kind of capitalized on that. Whether or not there was any actual connection or interaction between the two, if they acknowledged it in any way, they're always they, sort of Well, he had a mind. Dilbert doll on his desk on the show. That must be yeah. it. See, <laughs> there was some thought in there. I'm like, what, what bridges these two? Yeah, yeah. Good strip, though, for sure. 
sure. You know, it's funny. You both mentioned peanuts. When I was younger, there was always this weird divide in my mind where I, I, I had no understanding of peanuts as a comic strip. All I ever knew of it was, you know, Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving and Christmas special and all sure. of this. It felt like a very seasonal thing to me. And people would refer to it as peanuts. And in my stupid child brain where I was just so sure of everything, I'm like, why does everyone say it wrong? It's Charlie Brown. It's, it's, it's Christmas. You know, it just I just didn't get it. I don't know. It's weird looking back on it that way. Right. You're along the lines of Charles Schultz. He didn't like the name Peanuts either, so... <laughs> I don't blame him. Is that right? I'm still yeah. not fond of it. Did he have another name he was uh, wanting to use, or...? Yeah, he wanted to call it Good Old Charlie Brown, so if you see the old Sunday strips, it'll say Peanuts featuring Good Old Charlie Brown. That's kind of how he got it in there on the Sunday strip. But it was the syndicate that said, No, I want to call it Peanuts. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I didn't know that. An important linchpin of their marketing strategy was to alienate an entire group of people with deathly allergies. They just wanted to make sure they were out of the (laughs) That's what it was. It was probably some higher up at the United Features Syndicate at the time who said, we like this title, and they thought that was cute or something, you know. I mean, Howdy Doody had the the peanut gallery, so maybe it was Mm, kind of a... uh, Oh, I see. And that was already on the air by the time Peanuts came around. Uh, so, Well, that makes sense. Hey, Peanuts are funny. <laughs> Bring me more cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what about you, Jake? Favorite, favorite strips? Hagar the Horrible comes to mind. Mm, Is it yeah. horrible or terrible? I guess if it's horrible. my favorite, I should know. Thank you. Yeah. 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 That was always the one I looked forward to when I was younger. I always had a fascination with Vikings, whether or not... That was an accurate representation of Viking culture. I think that's open for debate. But uh, sure. yeah, I always liked Hagar. For yeah. someone with horrible mm-hmm. in his name, he always seemed like a very reasonable guy, mm-hmm. at least compared to the people around him. One of my uh, favorites, and I haven't seen it in years, but uh, you know, researching for this it reminded me of Sherman's Lagoon. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. That was a good little strip. And uh, we had the discussion earlier before we started the show how it actually hit and, like made me like laugh out loud. Yeah, you know? yeah. LOL, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> to use the common part. Right. For you millennials. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's such a new thing. LOL. Right. <laughs> But, um, yeah, no, another uh, cool thing to come from comic strips are all the television shows that have, you know, come as a result. Oh, you mentioned sure. the Peanuts. Yeah, yeah. That's probably the definitive right there. I mean, not only, you know, a, a TV representation of a comic strip, but definitive element of Christmas. It makes yeah. people's Christmas. You and hear it will Peanuts, just... you, you hear the music. Yeah, exactly. They didn't have that in the comic strip, you know. That's something that branched off. But you also had, like, Garfield and Friends in the 90s. Which I always despised. Did you? Because they couldn't afford to animate their mouths in the cartoon. It just drove me nuts. Well, I don't think that's why they didn't animate the mouths. No, I, I know. They, I'm sure they had their reasons, but it just killed me. I something about it. I could think of many other things yeah, to cut yeah. before the list. As previously established, I was a weird kid. So. What about Heathcliff? Are you old enough to remember Heathcliff? I know the name. I've only got the vaguest. I always get him mixed up in my head with Felix the Cat. Oh no, no, which isn't related. <laughs> no. no, Heathcliff was Heathcliff like was similar to Garfield. Yeah, yeah, the Garfield with bigger balls, I guess <laughs> I'd put it. Maybe less lazy. <laughs> yeah, so Garfield, he's Garfield without the trait that makes him Garfield, right? So this, well, it, Garfield was domesticated, where Heathcliff was feral. Oh, you know? okay. so interesting. <laughs> 
<laughs> a lot more uh, the antics. thesis of the paper you're writing on this subject. Well, and a lot more antics ensue, rather sure. than how to get more lasagna more between adventurous. my trip, you know, from the TV to my sleeping box. You know? I'll tell you what, the most fun I've ever had with Garfield is, I don't know if it's still going, there was this, it was either a blog or a, its own website where it was Garfield without Garfield. Oh, they yeah. just had Dave... I've heard dialogue, this. and they just completely cut Garfield appearance, anything he said, and you're just watching one lonely man's descent into madness. You know, is <laughs> one that comes to mind. Just the opening panel, he's just like, uh, what does he say? He's like, I wonder what I'm going to do with my day today. And then in the next panel, he's slumped over, and in the third, he's got his head in his hands, crying. You know, I have no idea what Garfield may have said to elicit this reaction, but good lord. <laughs> Oh, that's good. <laughs> I think they did put that out of paperback collection. I think the real Garfield people saw the humor in that and actually issued a real book. Oh, that's <laughs> is that right? That'd yeah. be fantastic. I hope so. Oh, you're saying you would, they should? Yes, absolutely. I think they did. No, I think it is on Amazon. I, I look it up now, but I'm probably messed up my phone connection. So. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll, we'll look into that. Absolutely. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Remember on uh, Rick and Morty, they had Gazorpasorp. Gazorpasorp. <laughs> <laughs> now give me my enchiladas. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, man. Um, and then of course there was the Dennis Smith cartoon oh, yeah. that uh, was very prominent in my youth. I, that was one of the after school lineups for me. What about shows maybe that should have been made? Strips that should have been made into shows? I would love to have seen a Beetle Bailey animated series. Mm, that'd be fun. Whether or not that humor could like hold up in a long format like that, who knows? But I, I'd have watched the hell out of it. <laughs> That's they, true. They, want, they actually did one in the early... Did they series. really? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think some of them were even released theatrically, but they're very limited animation on them, so... And it was done by King Features uh, Animation. They also did a Snuffy Smith at the same time, and then Crazy Cat also. So uh, they are available on DVD, but you know they're not that remarkable. They're they're amusing, but not that great. <laughs> sure. <laughs> mm. well, I guess I'm not missing anything then. I don't have to yeah. feel bad about it. <laughs> it'd, be nice, it'd be nice if they did like an update that actually was really funny and took yeah. some stuff from the strip. Huh. But they had to kind of tone it down so there's like no. Lusting after Miss Buxley and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> now, has there ever been a Calvin and Hobbes uh, like movie or show or anything? It seems like that had to have been done. No, because Watterson is very protective. The only thing he ever put out, um, besides paperbacks, is I believe he put out like a 1985 calendar, which I think goes for quite a bit of money nowadays on eBay or something like that. But he was not big on merchandise. Uh, he was certainly not Charles Schultz, so any, <laughs> any T-shirts or mugs or anything you see out there is all bootleg stuff, you know. But uh, let's his work speak for itself, I guess. In respect yeah. to that. We're not getting a Calvin and Hobbes Christmas special, is what you're telling me. <laughs> right, right. A mad country. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll have to settle for peanuts, I guess. Peanuts that wants to be Coca-Cola, I guess, or wanted to be. <laughs> Do you remember a uh, strip called uh, Bloom County? Bloom County? No. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't remember really much about it, except it was like a penguin and this like tweaked out cat. What was the premise behind that uh, strip? I can't remember. Well, originally, um, I don't know, if, you know, it sounds like you weren't around when it happened <laughs> i hate to say um but uh in the early 80s uh gary trudeau decided to put doonesbury on hold and bloom county already existed but it was just kind of middling around 
but it was drawn in a very similar style and similar lettering. And so somehow, even though it wasn't overtly political, uh, it kind of took its place and that's when it suddenly took off. And they had this other character called Bill the Cat, which was a total rip on Garfield since we're talking about it, uh, but a very obnoxious version. And so the strip lasted about 15 years or something like that. And then it, it kind of changed. It became a Sunday-only strip called Opus, which is the Penguin's name for a okay, while. Okay, that's... I'm familiar yeah. with Opus. And, I wasn't aware uh, of Bloom Count. I think there was another title of it. I, I'm trying to stream my brain without looking it up. Like, called Outland or something like that for a while. And it was Sunday-only, too. But uh, Berkeley Breathed actually came back, and he does new strips now of Bloom County, but I think he only posts them online, so you can actually see some new ones. Oh, and wow. They're, they're, strangely enough, they're kind of more politically bent than they used to be. <laughs> you know, wow. so, but he only does like one a week or one a month. It's not like, it's just kind of for fun. But uh, if you want to see all the old ones, I think they collected them in hardback books, if I remember correctly, in recent times. So that's really cool yeah i would have been uh, a little too young in those uh, early 80 days there but uh yeah yeah i remember at our school for some reason or another there was a like a six foot tall like model of that cat in there and it was just <laughs> i remember sitting there just staring at it like why gotta is this connect here? with the young people <laughs> <laughs> oh man well uh let's stop dancing around the obvious and just get to dennis the menace i guess yeah here. i mean started as a strip and kind of i guess the reason why we're all here right now right <laughs> i want to kind of ask you mark first about uh how you you know developed this infatuation for uh you know comics and animation and i i don't say that like looking down my nose because i have that same infatuation sure. <laughs> i think we're much. all pretty much in the same boat here yeah we're in the process of actually putting classic cartoons on our youtube channel so this like couldn't have come at a better time actually <laughs> but uh what was it for you what got you into this for me uh comics were always around uh you know i still have some of the issues that were around back then but i can still name the titles that i had in the issue number because i there was just about 10 or 15 comic books that were just around when i was a kid uh, there was a Casper, the Friendly Ghost comic. There's a Wendy, uh, Mighty Thor issue, Three Stooges, uh, um, a Yogi Bear, an Underdog, and a couple Archies. Things like that that were just around. And I didn't know you could buy these things. I didn't know anything. And uh, but I did know about comic strips in the newspaper. And my grandmother, I, I lived in Northern California when I was a kid, and then I moved to Southern California. Of course, I live in Oregon now. But um, and when I moved to Southern California uh, as a kid, my grandmother used to send me the Sunday comic section from the Northern California paper, the San Jose Mercury, because they had a lot of different comic strips than <laughs> wow. the Los Angeles Times did. And so... Um, I used to pour over it. It's like, wow, there's different strips. I didn't know different papers that, you know, and everything like that. And, of course, like you said, well, um, I'd see the Charlie Brown specials on TV and uh, got interested in that. Um, so, you know, I got interested in comic books, animation, comic strips, all around the same time when I was a little kid. And it kind of developed into a major, major interest and then I, could I found out I could actually write. <laughs> so, and <laughs> I was good at like being meticulous about facts and stuff, especially in the pre 
uh, internet days, I would make lists of things like here's a list of all the the peanuts paperbacks or something like that, you know. And nowadays, you just look on Google. There they are. There's a list. You know, it's like right. wow, other people that do this crazy stuff too. Everyone can and, kind of share the workload rather than right. pouring over it for hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, now. In Dennis the Menace, it's funny, and I talk about this in the book on my introduction. My introduction to Dennis the Menace was not the comic panel or the strip or anything like that. It was actually because the the comic strip at the time didn't appear in the San Jose Mercury or the Los Angeles Times. It did appear in the San Francisco Chronicle, but I rarely got that paper. Um, so my first exposure to Dennis the Menace was there was in Monterey, California, and uh, really? all things. And uh, Dairy Queen restaurant used to have Dennis the Menace as their mascot. Uh, there was the live action TV show that was in reruns with Jay North. And um, I saw the comic books. So the comic books were where I really read Dennis the Menace for years. And then I found out, oh, yeah, they, there's this comic panel too. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I actually had a preference for the comic books, but the comic books weren't done by the real guy. It was done by other people. I didn't know that at the time because they didn't sign their names, but I noticed that there were different art styles. So I said, well, there's not just one guy doing this stuff. So, <laughs> Sure. My first introduction, Dennis, uh, we did have him in the paper here. I do remember that. And, of course, Dairy Queen. I mean, anytime you went and got a blizzard <laughs> right. or anything, you got Dennis on your cup. And then the cartoon, but yeah. yeah I wonder how sure. that deal came about. You know, what Dairy Queen exec was in his office, like, pounding his table like J.J. Jameson's <laughs> like, we need Dennis! You know, like, <laughs> That's what's going to keep us on the top. I think Mark might have an answer for that one. Well, Dennis actually was really, really popular before Charlie Brown and Peanuts took over. I mean, even though Peanuts started first, it actually started in 1950, and Dennis Smith started in 51, um, Dennis the Menace like took off like a rocket, uh, but it, it appealed more to adults. And so I have pictures in there. There's like Dennis the Menace ashtrays and Dennis <laughs> the Menace matches and Dennis what? the Menace cocktail napkins and things like that. And that's who they were marketing it to. And it was a really popular panel early on. He won the Rubin Award, which is the equivalent of like the Oscar for the best comic strip of the year early on, like 1952, I believe. And, um, you know, basically it was just really, really successful, which is one of the reasons why they made the live-action TV series. Um, although Ketchum wanted to make it animated, but they said, oh, animation, too expensive. You got to do a live-action. So he agreed to that, even though he never really cared for that. Meantime, uh, Peanuts and Charlie Brown, you know, just kind of plugged away during the 50s and was kind of mildly successful, but it wasn't until that Charlie Brown Christmas special that it just skyrocketed. So it took a lot longer for Peanuts to really catch on. And then by the late 60s, totally surpassed Dennis the Menace. Um, and probably the Dairy Queen people were like thinking, who can we get? Uh, Charlie Brown's too expensive. Maybe we can get Dennis. <laughs> you know, his kids go to Dairy Queen, right? You know, and we can't get those Peanuts kids. We'll get the Dennis the Menace kids. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> who knows what goes to that exec's minds. But <laughs> and they had him as a uh, spokes, what What would you call it? It's not a spokesperson, but as their uh, mascot. Mascot, uh, yeah. Or, yeah, for years, like 30 years. Yeah. Is that right? A long time. It was all the way up, and I didn't even know this. It was all the way up to like 2001. You know, they finally it said, well... 
Dennis is kind of passe, we'll drop him, you know, and it's like, <laughs> it was just unceremoniously dropped. They're like 70s, 80s, and 90s. Yeah, you saw him in there all the time. Didn't think about it. Oh, this is where Dennis the Menace is. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> Yeah. And they quietly put a bullet in the back of his head in some storeroom. <laughs> Just shh. You saw nothing. Only right. dreams now. <laughs> so what was uh, Hank Ketchum's inspiration then for Dennis? Well, he always tells a story, and I do retell it in the book. He's retold it many times, even in his autobiography, that uh, he has a son named Dennis Ketchum, and... Uh, his uh, first wife came in to the room one day uh, because apparently Dennis was causing trouble. And he said, she said, your son Dennis is a menace. And apparently that clicked in his head. So Dennis, Dennis the menace. I could do a comic strip on that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it, Ketchum wasn't new to comic strips. He'd been doing comic panels for years in different magazines like New Yorker and um, Saturday Evening Post, Collier's, just different, just whatever existed back then. He probably had a panel or two here and there. He's just a general magazine cartoonist. But he did have aspirations to do a regular series. And he actually did attempt to do a, a comic strip rather than a panel with a character that was similar to Dennis. And so he probably had the idea of like a, a, a small child in the strip but he called it Little Joe, and there's a few samples in the book, and also in uh, Hank Ketchum's autobiography. But um, for some reason, the panel took off more than the strip, and that's what King Features bought. So they said, yeah, we like this. And actually, it wasn't King Features at the time. That's who syndicates it now. It was, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was Hall Syndicate at the time. That's what I have to remember, you know. <laughs> One thing that I wasn't aware of until I, one, read the email from Liz and I was talking to Jake here, is yeah. there was actually a UK version of Dennis yeah, the Menace. Bizarre, parallel, like unrelated, yeah. but came about at almost the exact same time. I'm guessing like, a situation that's kind of like Bizarro Superman. Where yeah, it's just... His yeah. clothes are the opposite color, he has black hair. <laughs> I forgot the name of the guy, I'd have to look it up, because I do one chapter in the British Dennis the Menace. Um... So forgive me, you British fans, but <laughs> is it? Uh, I think it's David Law. David Law, thank you. There's a comic magazine. Britain tended to have weekly comic magazines, and they had one called the Beano and one called the Dandy. There was other ones, but Beano had um, this other character, um, Biffo the Bear, or something on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing too exciting. Uh, and then unceremoniously, on the exact same week, and. Uh, probably the exact same day it went on sale as the first Dennis the Menace strip in America appeared. Uh, the Dennis the Menace strip in England appeared, but the Dennis the Menace in England, he's wears a rugby shirt, a striped rugby shirt, and black shorts, and has black tousled hair, and oh, wow. is like probably a little bit older, probably about like nine or ten uh, than Dennis, the, the American Dennis. And, uh, it, you know, since this is, again, the days before the Internet, nobody knew. Nobody in, you know, it, it probably was not until um, the live action uh, TV series was created and they're trying to sell it overseas. They, <laughs> well, you can't call it Dennis the Menace. We have Dennis the Menace. <laughs> and so, um, strangely enough, they put out the um, comic strip 
from America over there, but they renamed it the Pickle. <laughs> of course they did. You think Peanuts is a weird name? I was just thinking that. I was like, Peanuts, Pickles, what's next? Yeah, and then and the TV series with Jay North, it came out over there, but they renamed it Just Dennis. So... <laughs> And uh, but the the same thing happened the other way when they had to when they brought the British one over here at times, which it's never really caught on over here. But they called it Dennis and Nasher, uh, Nasher being Dennis's dog, and uh, you know it's never really taken off conversely from Britain to here. But you know, I, I found out about it probably 80s or 90s when uh, I'd go to like import shops that have import magazines and they import some of those comic books com- you know like the Beano and stuff like that which I knew nothing about the Beano I just said oh British comics let's buy some you know <laughs> right. like, you know and then they found out wow there's a character Dennis the Menace I wonder you know what caused them you know if there's any copyright infringement or anything but apparently according to and I say this in the book I interviewed different people who worked on Dennis the Menace and one of the artist named Karen Matchett uh, said that Hank Ketchum was always annoyed that there is the British Dennis the Menace, but <laughs> he couldn't do anything about it because no one knew and no one still knows which one actually came first. So, uh, yeah, I can't blame him. I'd be, uh, I'd be pretty pissed myself. You know, I, it seems like such a shame that you have these two comics, both called Dennis the Menace, both of which there was an attempt at importing them to the other country. Yeah. I wish they had called the British Dennis the Menace the Pickle when it landed here as well, just for that perfect <laughs> symmetry. What a wasted opportunity. Oh, my God. Now, Dennis and Nasher is uh, actually being made into a new TV show. Is that right? Well, they've, they've made animated versions of both versions of Dennis the Menace. So, um, and I talk about that in the book, too. So uh, they've been... They've animated the British one, I think both actually, the American one and the British one, three different occasions, three different series through the 80s and 90s and even currently. So apparently it's still a very popular character. In fact, like a lot of British uh, comic uh, books have gone by the wayside because of the internet. But the Beano, apparently Dennis the Menace is still popular. They still publish a Dennis the Menace annual. Uh, so it's still a popular character over there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Liz was saying in that email she had sent that it looks like yeah later this year Dennis and Nasher Unleashed is going on UKTV. That is a TV. very dramatic title. Unleashed, yeah. <laughs> can't get... Dennis and Nasher get pulled into some kind of death match arena in the <laughs> desert somewhere. Dennis and Nasher rises. Could <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> have some sort of meetup with both Dennis's, you know, as like have Ooh. you know. You know, get the rights to each other and just say, all right, they're going to finally meet in an animated special or movie or something like that. Have them fight it out. I was going to call, say, call it like the double Dennis extravaganza. That sounds a little profane. I don't know about that. (laughs) I'm not the pickle. You're the pickle. (laughs) (laughs) Two men enter, one man leave. Now, uh, another thing you might touch on on your book here is, uh, or touch on in your book, rather, is the... uh, a controversy over a suggested character, Jackson, in the 70s? Yeah, I do talk about that. Hank Ketchum's cast in Dennis Miss has been pretty small over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty much Dennis, Margaret, Tommy, Joey for kids. Oh, and Gina was added later. And uh, the parents, the Wilsons, and sometimes grandparents, and Ruff the dog, and Hot Dog the cat. And that's essentially the cast. And... Um, 
He was trying when uh, Peanuts, uh, when Schultz expanded Peanuts and put uh, Franklin in there as the token guy. guy. Uh. No, it's like, well, I can do one too. Um, unfortunately, whereas Schultz tried to make, uh, you know, Franklin look kind of just like any other Peanuts characters with just a few shade lines to kind of give him a little bit of a tan, as it were. Right. Um, uh, Hank Ketchum drew his like a real ethnic stereotype and by the 70s that was considered taboo yeah. already you know, I mean you think things are PC now uh, you know, it's like you know by the 70s it's like you know we're having like uh, you know regular TV series starring black people you know it's not like they're maids or servants anymore they're actually uh, well to do, you know, and then you get the Cosby show and things like that and the Jeffersons and those shows mm-hmm. like that stuff. You're not doing Amos and Andy anymore. Couldn't and, exactly uh, tour a minstrel show back then. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're starting uh, to see people as people instead of some. Now, now the, the joke itself and the, the, he did two panels with this character and the joke, it, jokes themselves aren't necessarily bad. It's just the way he drew them. And so um, newspapers had to apologize and say, you know, we're sorry. Uh, We ran Dennis Strip and it offended some of our readers. I I actually print out the the uh, the apology that some newspapers um, did run at the time. And uh, that was pretty much the end of Jackson <laughs> after that, after two appearances. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just pulled it up on uh, Google, and my God, I can't believe that was ever allowed out. <laughs> that is... That's bad. That is overt. <laughs> it's... <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, you know, it's funny. Even in his autobiography, um, old Ketchum said, I don't know what the big deal was. And it's like, <laughs> no. What? Okay, yeah, okay, he was, you know, he's from a different time, a different era, okay, we can forgive him for that, but it's like, uh, get a clue, guy, you know? (laughs) You You can't be that far removed, right? Come on. I don't know, when he decided to eschew human facial features in favor of this, like, horrific depths of space blackness, I think maybe that's where he made the misstep. (laughs) It's not making him look like a human at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> I never knew that. Pain. No. Um, and they've never really reprinted that one. Of course, I put it in the book because I'm that oh, way. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, um, and, you know, it's appeared in other places. But, I mean, uh, a few years ago, Fanographics was publishing all the strips, but they only got up to, like, 1962. So, and they've never gotten that far to reprint that one. And, of course, they had paperback collections, but they used to you know, take certain strips out, so that one never appeared in any of the collections. So, you know, this is kind of about the only place you can find it, in my book or online, you know. You know, <laughs> right. funny, that reminds me. I, I recall seeing, uh, it was a Looney Tunes cartoon or a Merry Melody, something of that effect, that had, like, it, it was either a, a very sort of stereotypical figure like this one, mm-hmm. or it was Bugs Bunny acting in a very stereotypical way. And they yeah. prefaced the episode at some point by saying um, the content of the following cartoon, you know, may offend some viewers. Right. It's a product of a different time. We're not saying that makes it correct, but we've opted to, to show it unedited and uncensored. And they, and they said their logic was 
to edit this out is sort of the same thing as, as pretending it never happened. Sure. You know, and so they, they want to say, like, you know, we know this is not correct and we're not condoning it, but to pretend it didn't happen at all isn't addressing right. the problem. And I, I thought that was a really dignified way to go about it. And that's happened before. I picked up the uh, DVD set of uh, Tom and Jerry cartoons. Mm-hmm. It was like a two or three disc set. And uh, when you put the disc in, at least from the very first season or run of shows they did, uh, Whoopi Goldberg comes on and says that exact same thing really? because of uh, Tom Cat's owner was Mammy Two Shoes. Oh yeah, and yeah. Very, you know, represented in a very uh, bad way. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of examples. Uh, Spike Lee did a movie about it called Bamboozled, uh, which actually I, I had, remember seeing the cover. I've never seen the film though. Has a lot of clips from those old films and cartoons and things like that, and it was just considered acceptable. Um, you know, and it, it, you know, it's like there's two schools of thoughts of it, and you know, which one's correct? I mean, do you suppress it all, or do you expose it and say it was a product of its time? You know, I tend to think the latter, but you know, there are people that say oh, this should never ever appear ever again. You know, so who's right? Yeah. Who's wrong? I kind of feel like people need to be aware of a problem so they don't repeat it, right? I mean, if you. Yeah. shine light yeah. on something that was but not it, acceptable. It does keep, like, you know, you mentioned Looney Tunes or even Tom and Jerry, it does keep a complete Looney Tunes set from ever being issued because there's certain <laughs> right. that, you know, there's like, it's supposed to be like the censored 11, but, you know, over the years, as things go on, it becomes a censored 25, censored 50, whatever, you know, because, right. uh, you know, when I was a kid, um, we're talking early 70s, um, late 70s, too. Uh, you know, it was just fine to say cowboys and Indians still. Oh, uh, oh yeah. No, no, no way. You know, and, uh, you know, I grew up on all that. All those Westerns were all in reruns. You'd watch them all and they'd be shooting all the Indians. No big deal. And everything like that. You know, and it's like then later it's like, uh oh, wrong. You can't do that. And they aren't called Indians because Indians are from India. <laughs> right. <laughs> I had, you know, I so I had to go through a whole re-education, as it were, over my lifetime. You know, just because, okay, you know, because it was considered harmless stuff, and now it's considered defensive stuff. So. And there's multiple. I mean, you know, aside from just the African American community, community, uh, in a lot of those old public domain cartoons, especially the ones I've been looking through recently. Um, uh, like uh, Asian people. Oh, yeah, around the time of World War II, they oh, did not yeah. pull their punches. But then there's even like full cartoons of like Daffy Duck, like directly fighting Hitler yeah, and stuff, yeah. and you know stuff that would never uh, make it today. But it's just it's it's crazy how the times change. Yeah, for the better, of course. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> now you had mentioned earlier that uh, you had read the uh, comic books of Dennis the Menace. I was not even aware there had been a comic book. And uh, it was, at least at one time, on the Marvel label until it had been, uh, what, pulled from Marvel? What's the story there? Well, I found out the real story, and I didn't know this until I did the book. Um, Marvel public, Marvel was at the tail end of the run. Okay, so the beginning of the comic book was 1953, and it was published by a publisher named Standard. And uh, over the years, it evolved into becoming Pines, and then Halden... And then um, Fawcett, the same publishers who used to publish the original Captain Marvel, like Shazam-type Captain Marvel. Right. uh, They came back and published uh, Dennis the Menace in the mid-60s and kept publishing it until probably around 1979 
Uh, and then it cha they changed the name of the publisher to CBS Incorporated, and then they just said, ah, this doesn't sell very well, and they, they pulled the plug on it. So uh, Hank Ketchum shopped around and uh, landed at Marvel, because Marvel then, as now, was very popular. You know, why not link up with one of the top publishers out sure. there? Sure. And um, unfortunately, Marvel has never had a great history of publishing anything non-superhero or anything licensed unless it had kind of a superhero element to, to it. So like things like Conan and Star Wars did well, but anything that was very cartoony with Marvel, especially later on, 70s, 80s, 90s, they, they made an attempt, uh, but this was after Dennis was canceled, um, with like Star Comics in the 80s and 90s, and they publish uh, like Heathcliff, we mentioned that for a while, and Alf and uh, a few other titles. But overall, Marvel was never terrifically successful with those type of things. But um, uh, what I thought is I thought Marvel pulled the plug on the comic after 13 issues, and it was actually Hank Ketchum who pulled the plug on it uh, because he was upset because by 1982, comic books were not being distributed the way that they used to be, and it's still that way now. I mean, if you want to buy a new comic book, well, you could buy it online, I guess, but uh, you have to go to a comics book store typically nowadays, where is in the old days with Dennis Mez and comic books, you could find them, you know, anywhere, a grocery store, a liquor right. store. Uh, and Dennis the Menace used to do this thing where they, especially in California, they went to all the different theme parks and uh, tourist attractions. So you'd find that particular issue at that tourist attraction. <laughs> so, um, like, there's uh, Win the Winchester Mystery House. If you went to Winchester Mystery House, you'd find copies of that issue. Wow. Uh, there's a place called Marine World. You'd find copies at Marine World. Uh, you know, different things. A lot of these parks are no longer around. But for, for years, you could find these comics. So, you know, so that's what Hank Ketchum missed, because by the time Marvel came around, things had changed. And um, he, he, he just changed a lot of things in the 80s. He pulled the plug on the comic books. He pulled the plug on the uh, newspaper reprint books. And, you know, but it actually, I think it helped the comics suffer because Dennis isn't as popular as it once was. <laughs> uh, just not being out there as much as it once was. Um, and it would be successful. I mean, it's just that uh, that formula that's just, I think, appeals to generation after generation of kids. It would be a hit, I think, if it was back in uh, I almost want to say it's a proven right. formula. You know, yeah. kids want to see mischief. Exactly. You know, everybody yeah. likes a little bit of chaos. One of the positive things that's come out in the last year that, uh, is uh, the company called Paper Cuts. Uh, they started to reissue some of the comic books in little hardback collections. Oh, nice. Uh, they've done, and I've helped out on these. The first one had Al Weissman as the focus. He was one of the artists on it. And, and it, I don't know how well, well you're versed in, like, Donald Duck or something. They always say Carl Barks is the good artist. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so in, in Dennis lore, Al Weissman is considered the good artist. And so uh, mm. they didn't have book. And then... Owen Fitzgerald took over uh, later on, and he's a good artist, but in a different way. So he has kind of a sloppier style, which I actually uh, um, prefer myself. <laughs> right. uh, and so they did an Owen Fitzgerald book. And then the third one that they're working on that's supposed to come out in a couple months is um, 
there they did a comic book version of Dennis in Hawaii, which was the very first major travel issue, and uh, it even came out before Hawaii was officially a state. Oh wow! Um, it's one of these books that, um, and I did this through the research, that had they just kept the same numbering, uh, it would have been like one of the top three best-selling comic books ever. <laughs> really. But, is what they did is they put it out in this umbrella series called Dennis the Menace Giant, and it came out as Dennis the Menace Giant 6, and then they reissued it as number 18, and then they reissued it as number 50, or I don't know the later numbers, you know. And so it came out every year with a little update sometimes, new cover or something like that. But if you put the sales figures of all these different printings, I think it went through like nine printings or something like that, it would have been up in the millions and would have rivaled one of the top-selling ones ever, like Spider-Man 1 or X-Men 1 that came out in the 90s, you know, when they had the wow. Superman death issue or whatever is at the top. I have a list of the top 10 comics. Uh, but since it wasn't, you know, they didn't really monitor it that close, you know, I, it's kind of guesstimating, but it would have sold up in the millions. <laughs> so, you know. Had it stayed its own, like, entity rather than being in like three different printing third and fourth printing which they did a few they did second third and fourth and then they just started renumbering it later and stuff (laughs) that's kind of crazy (laughs) so that's the comic book series but um now this might be a stupid question but was the archie comic series was that a subsidiary of marvel in some way was there an affiliation there because it seems like that label would have been a natural for dennis Archie was always its own thing. It still is its own thing. Um, the only connection it had to Dennis is there was a time, Fawcett was also a comic book distributor, and so like in the 70s and 80s, uh, you'll see distributed by Fawcett listed on the on the covers. But Well, like I, um, I used to buy Turtle Comics, Ninja Turtle Comics, and they were, on, they were from Archie Comics, like up in the top left corner, say Archie, and there were a whole bunch of different series like that, and it just seems like Dennis would have fit in there. But um, Like um, tonally, it seems. Yeah, exactly. Growing. Well, after the Marvel experience, uh, Ketchum never really chopped it around. He just kind of said, oh, we've done this enough. I mean, it right. had been about 30 years from 53 to 81 or 82 so yeah that's about 30 years and so you know i don't know catch him i he, you know he's kind of a strange guy in a certain way <laughs> so i mean if you go through the book he, he at one point he just up and he goes on a trip through europe and russia in 1959 and was so inspired by this um that he just to just up and leave uh, his staff and everything from Monterey, California, moved to to Switzerland, and he lived there for about 17 years. <laughs> you know? Wow! It's, he would do the panel over in Switzerland, and everybody else was working on the comic books and the uh, the the Sunday strip because Ketchum rarely did the Sunday strip uh, in the United States. And but they'd have to ship things back and forth, like they do the comic book story here, and ship it over to Switzerland to get. Catch them sign off on it and saying, "Yep, yeah, this is good," or "No, can you fix this art here?" Oh, whatever, and that went on for years, and very strange setup. But nobody knew any of this was going on. They just saw the strip in their paper and the comic books on the stands. So. That's incredible. <laughs> what reason would they have to suspect? Yeah, yeah. This is so many uh, cool little facts about uh, you know the history of Dennis the Menace. I'd never had yeah, any idea. You wouldn't about. expect it to be that. 
complicated. Yeah. But <laughs> see, with me, it's these kind of facts that really intrigue oh, sure. me and draw me to something. Like I was telling you earlier, I, I love watching like the underbelly of Disney yeah, kind yeah. of documentary stuff, like <laughs> the stuff that isn't put out there by the corporation. I don't sure. know. It's it's a lot of fun stuff, and a lot of which, and a lot more is going to be in, or is already in your book, Pocket Full of Dennis the Menace. Now, you had mentioned uh, earlier that it's available currently on which website? Uh, BearManorMedia.com, which is the Bear Manor, is the publisher. and and Nice. They put it out initially there. It's available in a paperback version and a hardback version at present. Usually, he puts out an ebook version at some point, but... Uh, Likes to get the the print copy sales first, of course. Right, absolutely. Uh, uh, you were telling me earlier, it's like you've heard two differing dates, so I'll mention both of them. It's supposed to be on Amazon either in June or July. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amazon in uh, Borders was saying June, so yeah. Uh, yeah I just uh, and then on the email it had said July. I just wanted to make sure, but I guess it doesn't matter really. But if you urgently want it now, yeah, Bear Manor Media will gladly sell you a copy. There so. you go. <laughs> That's awesome. And I uh, I can't wait to uh, check this book out. It sounds like it's going to be right up my alley. Indeed. Another thing I read about you is that uh, you do the occasional traveling art shows, like one of which that I read about, which <laughs> I would have killed to be at, was uh, From Richie Rich to Wendy the Witch, The Art of Harvey Comics. That sounds amazing. What was at this exhibit? I mean, what what did you have there? Well, I'm, I'm a big Harvey Comics fan. I started a fanzine in 1990, which I uh, published for 21 years until I started getting into the books. And it's called the Harveyville Fun Times. And I just was became a huge Harvey Comics fan. You know, Casper, Richie Rich, oh, yeah. Wendy, Little Dot, and all those characters. Um, at the time of the show, this is we're talking about 2008, um, I was friends, or I am still friends with uh, this guy named Andrew Farrago, who's published books on his own and is the curator of the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco. And um, they have done a zillion different art shows on comic strips and comic book art and stuff like that. And I said, say, would you ever want to do one on Harvey Comics? And he says, well, do you have the art? And I said, I do. And I know a few other people that have art, too. And so we all pulled our art pieces together and got a show together. Um, and it ran for about six months in San Francisco. And then uh, MOCA in New York, the Museum of Comic uh, comic and something art. <laughs> I don't remember what MOCA is. M-O-C-C-A. Um, they said, uh, can we have the show too? And I said, we all talked about it and said, sure, you know, and so it shipped out to New York and then they actually flew me out to New York. This is about 2009. Wow. And uh, I gave a talk there. We did a panel there. Um, then Toonzeum in, I always forget if it was, I think it's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My, I think that's the correct place where it is. And they wanted it. So everything moved there. I didn't go out to the Toonzeum, but I had people go out and take photos and then I had to get everything back to California, so <laughs> um, I hooked up with Van Eaton Galleries, which is in Southern California, and everything got shipped out there. We did a, a show down there with all everything, and I showed up for that, and then we got the artboard back home. To you know, And overall, I think the show ran for about two years, from 2008 to 2010. That yeah. is so sweet. And I can't believe it was even that close to us, and I had no idea. I would have killed to gone to that. How awesome that would have been. I've got DVDs packed full of, like, Casper, Little Dot, all those, <laughs> like, Wendy Witch cartoons. I love them. They're so much fun. 
if you do a search on uh, YouTube for Harvey Art Show, um, it has a San Francisco show on there, and I take uh, I, I introduce it, and there's some photos of all the artwork and uh, nice. things like that. So, so that's I guess you can see it that way. There is other footage shot, but I you know I edited it down to about like a five minute uh, reel there to put on face uh, YouTube. I mean, that'd be so. great to put on our Instagram. I was just gonna say we can link it to the website yeah. too, along with links to uh, picking up a pocket full of Dennis the Menace. This has just been a heck of a lot of fun, Mark. Absolutely. I want to thank you so much for taking time to be with us and share some of your amazing knowledge with us, man. All right, thank you very much. <laughs> Jake, what do we got on the website there, buddy? Oh, be sure to check out our website, CannedAirPodcast.com, where you can see our page of special guests, new and old episodes alike, uh, our excellent line of merchandise. Go ahead and slam that buy button as fast as you can. Oh, yeah. uh, if you'd like to be on the show, be sure to hit us up on our contacts page, and you can find links to our Twitter account, at CannedAirPod, and our Instagram, at Canned underscore Air, where we've got quality content every day coming your way loyal fans that we do that we do jake very good and our youtube page don't forget to check that oh, yes. out we uh, uh like we said earlier we're starting to upload classic cartoons public domain cartoons, that's right <laughs> ones we're allowed to uh, upload uh, a few bugs bunny up there we have yeah, some daffy yeah. duck and some superman on the way so that'll be a lot of fun be sure to check that out i want to say under construction but let's say this is like a soft grand opening here it's yeah. where we're starting to venture out a little more with it and Mark, uh, do you have any Twitter handles or uh, Instagram or any social media handles you'd like to give out to listeners? <laughs> um, I, uh, my actual website um, is funideas.50webs.com. That's 50webs, W-E-B-S. But you can find me. I have a page on Amazon. I have a page on Wikipedia. I have a page on IMDb. I'm Mark Arnold 10 <laughs> X, uh, number 10. Uh, so I'm 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 around. <laughs> All right, cool. An avenue for everyone to check them out. Yeah, that's that's awesome. <laughs> and uh, more ways for us to push the word on everything you got going on. So very cool. Uh, again, I want to thank you. Is there anything else, Jake? Not that I can think. I think we covered all our bases on this one. Awesome. An informative ride through the world. I'd of say comics. so. I'd yeah. say so. Well, uh, until next time, I'm Jeremy Colley. I'm Jake Runyon, and I'm Mark Arnold. Thank you very much. And thank you. We had a blast. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time. Another great episode of Canned Air, huh, sure Timmy? Was. Let's go outside. All right. Hey, kids. Oh, my God, who's that? It's Creeper, the worst G.I. Joe character ever made. That's right. I heard you guys were going to go outside. Why don't you stay inside and go to www.cannedairpodcast.com where you can get the scoop on past episodes, see movie trailers, and go to the Canned Air game store, video store, and comic book store. Yay! With cannedairpodcast.com, we'll never have to go outside again. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! 
I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.